We're studying 1 John. So open up your Bibles. We'll be at the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3 in a moment. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in that pew. And you can open to page 680 and read with us here in just a moment. I want to begin with a story I heard about a child at school. And he was assigned a paper on the subject of childbirth. And so he went home and he asked his somewhat prudish mother to tell him about how he was born. And his mother said, well, the stork brought you. And he looked confused and said, well, where did you and dad come from? And he said, well, the stork brought us too. Well, what about grandma and grandpa? Well, the stork brought them too. So he turned in his paper and it said, this has been a very difficult essay to write as there has not been a natural childbirth in my family for over three generations. (laughs) Now, mom might think she's doing him a favor, but she's not. And here's why. You need to know something about your birth to understand something about your worth. Certainly, John would say that because we've come to a pivotal point in his letter He's writing to a troubled church, and the reason they're troubled is because some people have left the fellowship, and they claim they are more spiritual because they have new knowledge. And so what John wants to do is to reassure the church, and one way he does it, and we're going to see it over and over and over again in the rest of the book, is he goes back to their birth, and he reminds them they have been born of God and the implications of this truth are almost more than one can imagine. So look with me at the end of chapter 2 starting in verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, dear friends, now, now. We are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Now, we're going to get into this text in great detail in a few moments. But before we can, I've got to give you the back story. Of why it is so important to know about your new birth. You see there is a doctrine that is fundamental to understanding the entire Bible. And it is simply this. That man has an image problem. You see the story of the Bible begins with God's announced intention. To bring into existence beings as much like himself as creatures can be. And so you read the very first chapter of the Bible and the Godhead speaking to themselves says, let us make man in our likeness. Let us make man in our image. God's good pleasure 
is to have fellowship with created children who bear the family resemblance. But early in the story, we read about a disruption in God's plan. In chapter 3, a tempter that we call Satan or the serpent appears. And he tempts Adam and Eve with the bait of a counterfeit likeness. He offers a path to what he says is the image of God that is easier and more self-absorbed. And they take the bait. And the outcome is disastrous. The true image of God in them is fatally marred. And there are consequences, long-term and short-term. Now, the long-term consequence we all feel in this room, and that is we're going to die. These fleshly bodies of ours, the image of God in them has been so marred, they're going to die. And the short-term consequence is shame. As soon as they disobeyed, they felt it. They felt something they'd never felt before. Shame. They covered themselves up. And the next time they heard God, they hid. Because they were ashamed to be in the presence of God with their current image. Now what's going to happen to this story? Is God just going to abandon His desire to have fellowship with created children? Who bear his likeness. No. In fact we'll see the next time we study 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. That scripture says the reason the son of God appeared. Was to destroy the devil's work. Of marring the image of God in man. And so the Bible says as, we, as the story continues. That in the fullness of time. The image of God. Perfect. Unmarred by disobedience reappeared on the earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He came for the specific purpose of fixing man's image problem. Look at how Paul puts it in Colossians 1. For he's rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And God has purchased our freedom with his blood. And has forgiven us all our sins. And this next little phrase is critical to understanding what we've just read. For Christ, you see, is the visible image of the invisible God. God himself has come. The image of God, perfect and unmarred by sin, has appeared in our form. He came in our likeness to restore our capacity to bear His likeness. And so you see, this whole story then hinges on Jesus. And the story goes on to say that fixing the image of God in you depends on your response to the image of God in Jesus. This is the great question. Do you recognize that you have an image problem? 
And are you going to receive God's answer for it in Jesus? John speaks about this in his gospel in the first chapter. He says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. He's saying that through Christ, we receive the capacity to again bear the family resemblance. A capacity that's going to be consummated at his return. Paul picks up on this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, that great resurrection chapter. He says that just as we are now like Adam, the man of the earth, so we will someday be like Christ, the man from heaven. Someday... The image of God in us is going to be completely restored. But what does that mean for us right now? Well, the answer came in the very first verse we read a moment ago. Look again at chapter 2, verse 28. When he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. That's what John wants you to understand this morning. That the work of Jesus Christ has so repaired your image problem. You don't have to be afraid anymore of the thought of seeing God. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 2 verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who were made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. The gospel proclaims the promise that Jesus has so completely and so perfectly and so permanently fixed our image problem. We no longer have to feel shame in the presence of God. Now, that is hard to imagine. Isn't it interesting that the word imagine and the word image... Come from the same root word. And so what John, I think, is doing in the text we just read, he is trying to expand our imagination. And for a few moments, I would like for you to think thoughts that are so profound and so glorious, it's going to be hard for you to do it unless you allow the Holy Spirit to help you. Here's the first thing I want you to imagine. Freeing love. In verse 1, John said, How great is the love of the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You see, from the very beginning, this story has been a love story. From the very beginning. Paul knows that. He writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 that his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. A lot of you know I'm an adoptive father. Let me tell you one thing about adoptive parents. It doesn't happen by accident. I've heard of unplanned pregnancies 
You have never heard of an unplanned adoption. You adopt because it gives you pleasure. You adopt because you want to. You adopt because you have love you want to extend. And it must be fulfilled. And yet here's the deal. Most of you today struggle more to believe in God's love than in God's power. I don't have any problem convincing you that God could snap his fingers and do whatever he wants because he's so powerful. The problem is convincing you because you know you so well that God from the beginning has always loved you. And that's because, you see, love in our world is almost always object-oriented. We see something or someone, and it's winsome, it's attractive, it's lovely. And so we extend love to the object because we have deemed that the object is worthy of being loved. And because that's how we understand love, it is hard for us to believe there is a love out there that could liberate us from anything. That's why I think it's interesting what John literally says. It doesn't show in the English translation. The actual Greek word is from what country is the love of God? His point is his love isn't like anything we've ever seen because it's not of this world. Sometimes you've been with a friend and he does something strange. and You say, man, what country are you from? That's what John is saying. What country did this kind of love come from? This is not how the human race loves. This love doesn't belong to our world. This love belongs to another world. Because it's not because of love. I love you because you're worthy. Because you're lovely. It's in spite of love. It's not I will love you if. It's I will love you even if. It's not love that is based in the object. It's love that is sourced in the subject. Some years ago in the Dennis the Menace cartoon strip, Dennis and Joey are walking out of Mrs. Wilson's house and they got a bunch of cookies in their hands. And Joey says to Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve this. And Dennis, ever the theologian, says, Joey, we don't have cookies because we're so nice, but because Mrs. Wilson is so nice. You see, his love is not invoked by your worth. It's his love that created your worth. It's hard for me to get that. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around a love that always wants to wrap its arms around me. Because I know me so well. That's why we have to pray about it. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great, you will never fully understand it. But I will say this. To begin to understand 
how much God loves you is the beginning of the end of your struggle with shame. And John says it begins here. Could you just for a moment imagine that you have always been loved? And then he says, could you imagine being changed? Look at verse 29 again. Because if you don't get verse 29, you'll miss the gospel. And you'll just become another world religion. It says, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, religion says everyone who does right gets to be born of him. That's not what it says. It says everyone who has, is doing right has been born. In other words, we do right not to Get born, but because we've been, it's not the cause, it's the consequence. That when a person is born again, God puts his life, his seed, his spirit in that person. And they begin to inevitably grow and change. We'll see that next time too in chapter 3 verse 9. A few verses later John says, those who've been born into God's family do not sin because God's life is in them. And so they can't keep on sinning because they've been born of God. God is doing something in you now. You find a growing distaste for sin and a growing hunger for God. You see, for too long we have preached a truncated gospel. And we've said, accept Jesus and get forgiveness. Well, that's true, but that's only half the story. The gospel is not just forgiveness. It is formation. God is restoring His image in you. He is changing you from the inside out to look more like His design for you at the start of the story. Now, John says this change is going to be complete when Jesus comes back. But it is starting and going on right now. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That same verse in the message says we're transfigured. Much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter. And more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. Do you see what the Bible is saying, folks? God is not going to wait to the very end to fix your image. He's doing it right now. It's going on right now. And folks, this is our greatest apologetic to the world. It's not our buildings. It's not our music. It's the one argument the world cannot deny. And that is that God can change people. Just uh, recently I read something by a man named Matthew Paris. He's a British atheist. He wrote this in December of 2008 in the Times of London. He had gone back to Africa to the country of Malawi where he had lived as a small boy. He hadn't been back in over 40 years. He went back and he said the trip restored my faith in development charities. But he said something else happened. Let me read what he wrote. It refreshed another belief too. One I've been trying to banish all my life. But an observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds 
my ideological beliefs. It stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now, what is it? He says, I'm a confirmed atheist. But I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. An atheist gets it. That the new image is not just a future hope. It's a dynamic reality now. And Satan doesn't want you to know that. Remember, he's still trying to mess up the story. He does not want you to believe you can change. He does not want you to believe you can ever be different. That you can ever be new. That you can be a new creation. Years ago, this young man came up to the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. And said, I'm thinking of dropping out of school and becoming a boxer like you. How do I do that? And Ali said, stay in college and get the knowledge. Stay there till you're through. Because if God can make penicillin out of moldy bread, he can make something out of you. God can work through anything To work on your image. That's the message. That's the rest of the story of one of the most famous verses in the Bible. See, we all know Romans 8, 28. That we know in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Who've been called according to His purpose. But we stop there. We need to keep reading. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. The Bible doesn't say everything's good. The Bible says God is so good that He can work good out of anything for the ultimate good of helping you look more like Jesus. That's what it says. God is so good that it doesn't matter what you're going through. Job loss, relational breakup, sickness, death. In all of these and more, God says... I can work so that you look more like what I planned for you to look like before you were created. Listen, the most amazing thing about heaven is not what you are going to get. It's what you are going to become. John says, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Imagine that. That's a third thing John says. Can you imagine seeing Jesus? This is a part of the story. This is your destiny. Not to be afraid, not to hide, not to be ashamed. 
but to see Jesus. Can you imagine that? Here's the thing, Jesus could. Not only could Jesus imagine it, he prayed for it. The night before he died in John 17, it says, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me so they can see my glory. You see, the Bible says right now we see dimly. We have a faint idea of what's ahead, but we can't see clear yet. It reminds me, some of you remember the name Nancy Kerrigan. She was an ice skater that represented our country in the Olympics. And they had a bunch of stories about her as she trained and her mother. Her mother, Brenda, became legally blind at the age of 31. And Brenda was always at Nancy's skates. And in one interview, they showed Brenda right down by the rink. And there was this big TV. And she had her head up against the screen just like this. And a journalist asked Brenda, what can you see? And she said, I can make out some movement. I can make out some shape. And then she began to cry. And she said, but I can't see her face. I can't see my daughter's face. Can you imagine the day when we will? The story ends like this in the end of the Bible, the last chapter of Revelation. There's a garden again. There's this tree of life. It's back. It looks like the start of the story. And here's what it says. No longer will anything be cursed. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face. And that's how the story ends. Can you imagine it? Now, let me tell you how I can know if you can. Because John closes by saying anyone and everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself. Now, please notice that wasn't a command. So if this is what you believe, purify yourself. He didn't say that. It's not a command. It's a reality. If you can imagine the love of God, if you can imagine He's changing you right now, or affixing your image, if you can imagine someday you're going to see Jesus and not be afraid to do it, if you can imagine that, duh, you're going to get ready. You're going to start living now like who God says you're going to be. It's like the college football player who's been told he's good enough to play in the NFL, that he's about to get drafted. Now, if he can see his future in the NFL, what's he doing right now? He's lifting weights. He's running. He's training. He's watching his diet. He's hired an agent. He's getting ready because he can see who he's going to be in the future. It's the people who don't know, who can't imagine what they will be, who don't know what to be right now. And so, let me just close with this admonition. To determine to see what you'll be. I heard of an artist who was working on a canvas and he was convinced that this would be a masterpiece. This would be the consummation of his life's work in art. 
And as he was about halfway through with the portrait, he had a friend into the studio and he said, what do you think? And the friend said, doesn't look like much to me, just a bunch of color. And the painter said, oh, but I forgot. You can only see it as it is. But I see it for what it will be. Now, friends, it is not easy to live with a spirit-inspired imagination because we are surrounded by a world with so little vision of what God can do. And John says, that's why you need to know your story. That's why you need to be told about your birth. That's why you need to remain in the love of God. The little letter of Jude says in verse 21, You keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning. I want you to bow your head, please. I'm not going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to imagine. I'm going to ask you to, for a few moments, allow a sanctified imagination to ponder the truth we have discovered today. And here's where I want you to start. Take a few moments and just imagine. How much God loves you. It is not if love. It is even if love. It is not because of love. In spite of love. And so forget all the hurt. And all the fake love you've ever experienced. And just for a moment. Try to imagine. The father looking at you right now. And there's a smile on his face. Now, I want you to imagine the image in you completely restored. That the day is going to come when every motivation is going to be pure. That every word out of your mouth is going to be noble. Every thought in your head is going to be lovely. Imagine that you don't have to stay who you are anymore. now imagine seeing Jesus face to face and he's beaming because he can't wait to put his arms around you God, sanctify our imagination 
for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. Standing, we're going to ask uh, elders and ministers to make their way to the chapel now to receive anyone today who would like someone to talk to or pray with. If you're ready to start your new life in Christ, to have that image repaired, to be born again, come and confess Christ this morning. He's the issue. He is the answer to your image problem. Be baptized into Jesus right now. We can do it as we sing about the day when we will see Jesus.